What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have none other than the one, the only, T.C. Hale. How are you, man? Pretty good. What's shaking? Thank you for calling me a one and only. I must be awesome. I can't... I can't wait to hear what I have to say. Hey, man, you are definitely one and only. You got a very unique, unique, <laughs> uh, just, just conversation about you, man. Like when we met on low carb cruise, like I was immediately drawn to your presentation style and just like your able, your ability to keep the audience engaged. Yeah, I've heard it described as as just really messed up. So I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, that works too. That works too. Um, so so dive into a little bit of backstory, man. We we talked on your podcast. Uh, we recorded that last week. I don't know when that's going live, but um. Talk to me a little bit about your backstory and let the listeners in on some some background of T.C. Hale. Yeah, well, just like uh, most natural health experts, I, I started my career uh, touring professionally as a stand-up comic. And that's kind of yeah, how, yeah. how I got rolling, right? That's how we all do it. Um, I must be doing it wrong because I did not do that. <laughs> you didn't do that? Oh, man, you didn't get that memo. But it's uh, it was a situation where I was doing that and I lost my voice. And the tricky part was that it didn't come back for uh, for eight years. So that kind of sucked, and uh, 23 doctors couldn't uh, help me figure out what was going on. So I finally just told them, okay, you guys piss off. I'm going to just figure this out myself, and that's kind of what I did. I just started reading everything I could, and, and I was pretty psycho about it. Like if I wasn't working, I was reading or listening or doing something where I could research, and uh, I just toured around just going to uh, any kind of workshop or uh, – um, talk on nutrition or health that I could find until I finally started finding some answers. And so as I was still looking for my answers, I kept running across other information like, oh, I wonder if this is why Jim is dealing with this problem. Let's check that out. And oh, my other buddy, Chris has this. Let's see if that works. And so I started helping people, uh, friends of mine, just fix their health issues. And then it was uh, a buddy of mine. I helped him fix his insomnia. And a friend of his called me and he's like, dude, I'll pay you $500 if you can help me like you did uh, my man over there. And I was like, oh, this is a business. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got started. D dive into this voice loss thing, man, because you had said that when you presented at the Low Carb Cruise and I was just like blown away. So you, I mean, what was the, the official diagnosis? And you, you were totally like, you cannot speak at all, right? Like what, what's the details behind that? Right. In the first few years, I couldn't talk at all. And then it kind of got to where I could talk. I could say about 12 words per day was about my limit. And so if somebody asked me a stupid question, I'd be like, don't waste my words. I got 12. Would you just, you know? Uh, so it was, uh, it was a different living experience. And, uh, you know, doctors tried to, you know, give me all these medications and everybody had an opinion on what it was. And the surgeon, of course, wanted to cut me open and do this. And I, I saw a lot of professionals. And it uh, it turned out that just my shoes were on too tight. That's what it was, huh? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine it, how how pissed I would be if that was really what it was? <laughs> was it like just painful to speak, or what, what? I mean, what was what were you feeling? It was always painful to speak, but then it would just give out. Like I just it would I'd say stuff and then nothing would come out. And what I also learned was that if I went above my uh my allotted number of words that day that for the next few days, I couldn't say a single word. So I kind of learned that I need to stay within my boundaries and uh, kind of figure that out. And it, and it turned out that I was dealing with uh, something called hereditary hemochromatosis, which is this issue where your body absorbs way more iron than any human needs. And uh, that high you know, metal issue can start creating a lot of inflammation. And I was dealing with uh, some reflux and a hiatal hernia kind of thing. So all of these factors just kind of combine to create this perfect storm of, hey, why don't this kid shut up for eight years? And now yeah. you just talk all the time. Right now, nobody can shut me up. So it's, it's, a, it's a miserable <laughs> situation for uh, anybody that lives with me. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it was, uh, it, it was a you know, you, you learn a lot and uh, you, know, you suffer through all that stuff. But then you come out the other side and you're like, wow, I have this new toy where I can really teach people to do stuff. And this has become my living. And I... I haven't even gone back to stand up, honestly, just because I've been having so much fun doing this stuff. That's cool, man. That's cool. It's uh, I don't know. I feel like the most I ever grow as a person is during times of just incredible hardship. I feel like this is a classic example of that. I mean, you can't speak for eight years. You go through all kinds of just a total redirect in your life course, 
and you learn a lot more about yourself. Right. And you, and it also, you know, we talked to you on our podcast chat, the fat last week and, you know, listening to some of your story and how you got started and how you were, you know, so driven uh, to reach your goals that you were like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and not have any relationships and just do this stuff. And that's kind of how I was. I, I was really interested in losing, I mean, in getting my voice back because mm -hmm. I, I, I basically lost all my income. I didn't have a way to make a living. I was making my living by talking to people. Um, I was also working with some clients in the gym doing personal training stuff uh, just because I was kind of tired of being on the road all the time. So all those things were talking. And so I was so motivated to get my voice back that I just turned into this psycho driven guy that didn't do anything but work. And it's definitely not where you want to be. It's not a, a way to live, but I felt like it was the only option I had. And of course, now after experiencing that, you get to live a life and just appreciate it a whole lot more. I get to be like, you know, I, I, I just watched an episode of Friends. That was awesome. You know, it's just a 30 minute show. It's no big deal, but you just appreciate the little things like that a whole lot more. Yeah, totally, man. Was there like a, any point in that time where you're just incredibly depressed? That like was like a specific low point where you realized that you had to do something different because it, it wasn't going to fix itself? I really was. And in my whole life, I've never been a, a depressed uh, guy. I've never been a, an emotionally unstable guy. I've always been extremely positive to the point where I make people want to vomit. Um, but there was a time where I was depressed, to the not to the point of being suicidal, but to the point of like, Hey, if a truck hit me, that's fine. If I got run over, I'm not going to step in front of a truck. But if one just hit me, I'm okay with that. Um, and understanding depression the way that I do now, and that's something that I have been able to help literally hundreds of people improve. Uh, when you look at um, the most common underlying causes of depression, they make sense for what I was dealing with. Because not only did I have this situation in my life that could cause a person to be depressed. When you think about it, wow, he lost really everything. I lost the girlfriend that I was with. I lost my job, my income, ended up having to file uh, bankruptcy due to the uh, six figures in medical bills that I accumulated. You know, all these horrible things. So sure, that could make a person depressed. But what I understood uh, or what I understand now is that when I first had this issue, a lot of doctors put me on like PPI drugs. They're like, you're getting reflux and it's burning your vocal cords and so you can't talk. So I went on all these PPIs for over a year and uh, I didn't see any improvement. And I understand now that when you turn off the acid, the person is usually still getting reflux. Uh, they just don't feel it because there's nothing to burn them anymore. But there's digestive enzymes in the stomach that are made to break down protein. Well, guess what your esophagus and your vocal cords are made of? It's protein. So people are still getting reflux when they turn off their stomach acid, even though they don't feel it, and those digestive enzymes can still be creating that damage, which is kind of what's going on with me. But to take you back to the depression, what I see when I deal with clients with depression is there's almost always a really low mineral level in the body um, mm -hmm. because Minerals are kind of what we use to kind of send signals. They kind of, uh, we send signals to the brain and then the brain says, hey, do this. And then signals go back to the brain saying, this is what happened. You know, we need all that. So when there's not enough minerals, that communication is really stunted. And a person can end up being depressed or, you know, anxious and all these other issues. And uh, I, I always like to make sure I tell people that just because I say low blood pressure can cause depression, that's not the only physiological cause. There's other physiological causes as well as, you know, things in life that can make us depressed, right? So I just, I hate to see people get confused. Uh, everything that I talk about, all the issues that we kind of talk about on our show, um, we see that it's hard for people to figure them out and find some kind of quote unquote natural remedy because uh, every problem seems to have two or three possible underlying causes. And so you know, if you're having insomnia and you use glutamine and you fix it and you can sleep and, hey, that's great. And then I'm like, oh, well, Robert Sykes is awesome. I'm going to do what Robert Sykes does. And I try glutamine. And then not only can I 
is my insomnia worse, but I haven't pooped in about three weeks, you know? So you really have to look at physiology when you're, when you're looking at these things. But, uh, I've gotten away from this depression thing like 17 times. Am I ever going to answer the actual question? <laughs> so, what I found out, good. Right. so what I found out was that these PPIs were turning off my digestion, which turns off your ability to break down the food that you eat and pull the nutrients out of the food. You know, we, we can't actually do anything with food. Our body runs on the nutrients that are in that food and that food has to be able to break in, to be broken down correctly for you to be able to assimilate those nutrients. So during that time when I was on all those PPIs, I remember that my blood pressure was like 98 over 60 and, uh, which is hardly human. And a, a lot of people don't even know that low blood pressure can cause a lot of problems. Because as long as your blood pressure isn't high, your doctor's going to be like, hey, way to go. You're a champion. You're not going to have a stroke or a heart attack. Good job. But uh, they're not trained that that low blood pressure can cause a lot of, a lot of issues. And it's no fun kind of running around on, on flat tires all day, which is kind of what I was doing. So during that time, I really was dealing with some depression issues. But now my understanding is and it's not just that my life sucked with all those things that uh, contributed to it, but those things uh, were magnified by the physiology that was set up to have a magnified expression of that depression. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. And when, I don't know, when you, when you were going through and doing all this research to figure out what the issue was and the doctors weren't being much help to you, I mean, was there anything specific that you stumbled upon, a podcast, a book, a research paper that, that kind of led you to, to go down the path that you went down? There was. I, I came across a guy. Uh, I came across a few books that were on uh, about the pH balance of the body. And uh, I really kind of got suckered into that and thought that that was a great idea. And I have since learned um, how wrong a lot of that information is. And there's a whole lot of really bad information out there about pH and how everybody needs to alkalize. And the reality is that uh, for an imbalance to be possible, there has to also be a possible imbalance in the other direction. Otherwise, there is no middle ground. There's no place for a person to find balance. So these people were trying to teach me that um, everyone needs to alkalize or we're going to die by Thursday. And it turns out that um, just as many health issues can be caused by um, a bloodstream that's leaning too alkaline. We can actually talk about that a little bit later uh, in regards to keto, and that'll be a helpful piece of information. But I found those guys and it led me to a practitioner who was doing a lot of other things. He was really looking at the bioindividuality. He was looking at a person's body chemistry and um, really looking at uh, other areas of the body besides just the bloodstream that could be creating problems. And for the first time in years, I was taking steps that I was creating improvement. And I was like, this is amazing. I was, you can imagine that I was a little bit excited about that. And then that guy died. Uh, he had a freak, ac <clears throat> freak accident and uh, he passed away. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Uh, not that this story is about me when my, the guy died. I was still there, but still it was a tragic situation, right? Mm -hmm. So I found the school that he went to in Chicago and I just went up there. And I just uh, started studying what he had been studying. I, I figured that I needed to know what this guy knew. And uh, that's where I really learned about bioindividuality and, and everything took off from there. As far as bioindividuality, I think that's like a totally relevant you know, term. I think a lot of people do things and like this, they put a mask over things and, and not enough attention is given to bioindividuality. But do you feel like there's a, like a, a balance at some point? I mean, there's, I feel like some people are going so far in one direction that it become like this special snowflake syndrome and they feel like everybody is so uniquely different that there's no general principles that would apply to the whole. Right. And, you know, there's two sides of that. And, and let's say that one side is that what you just said is true. Even if, you know, you don't agree with it, I can tell you don't really agree with it. But let's just say that that's true. Uh, the reality is that there's still these foundational principles that are going to count for pretty much everybody. Let's say, um, hey, what if you ate real food? You know, what about that? What if you tried that? You know, that particular principle is going to improve just about anyone's health. And mm -hmm. uh, 
There's plenty of people that could eat from a vending machine every meal, every day for 15 years. Uh, I was one of those people. Maybe, maybe you were before you were in high school and started to get serious about bodybuilding. But there's a lot of people that have enough things going right in their body that they can handle that burden of garbage in constantly. Um, their body is very efficient at turning that into fuel. Their body is very efficient at removing all of the toxins that come in with that garbage. So they operate on that. And so, hey, I'm golden. I can eat this junk and everything's fine uh, for a while. But when you look at the benefits that we see with clients, listeners, everybody that we talk to of real food, it's just, it's not a disputable topic. It's like, we know that eating real food is going to improve a lot of people's health. We know that if you can uh, stop slamming cells with insulin all day, every single day, that there's a tremendous amount of health benefits that come from that. So those all things are, all those things are true. But when you look at the individuality aspect of it, uh, like here's the perfect example is let's throw keto into the mix a little bit. You and I uh, have experienced keto firsthand, uh, a lot of success using keto with ourselves, with other clients. We've seen people where their results are literally miraculous. Like, hey, my, told her, mm -hmm. my, doctor, my doctor told me I had about six months and I've turned things around now where I don't, where everything, I don't even know if I'm sick. You know, nobody would, a new doctor would never even diagnose me with something. That's where I am now. That's how awesome things are. So it's hard to tell us that, um, that keto wouldn't work for somebody. But the reality is, is that we all do process foods differently. And the reason that we process foods differently in some cases is because a lot of us are a little bit broken. So if you're going to talk about what works for the human body, then there's a list of, you know, six, seven, eight things maybe that we could just kind of tell everybody, you know, kind of focus on these things. And for the human body, that's going to be what's optimal. But a lot of people are so broken that taking those steps would make them worse. So let's. Let's talk about digestion a little bit, maybe to kind of get into that. Is yeah, that yeah okay? for sure. Yeah, totally. So what a lot of people don't understand is they kind of view it as, hey, I ate a sandwich and then some poop came out. So everything's working right. Um, but the reality is that there's a lot that goes on in there. Uh, when we eat food, uh, the two basic aspects of digestion, there's a lot of them. You know, it starts in the mouth with enzymes and all these things. But when the food gets to the stomach, the body makes hydrochloric acid. Uh, which breaks that food down. It kind of starts breaking down the proteins. It acidifies that food so that it can be broken down. And then when it leaves the stomach and it goes into the duodenum, what happens is, is from the gallbladder, it kind of squirts down this bile stuff. And the bile is, is alkaline. And so when this acid product from the stomach meets with this alkaline bile, there's like a difference in pH of like 100,000 times. So it creates this chemical reaction of this kind of like sizzle. Like you remember every kid in fifth grade who did that volcano uh, science mm -hmm. fair project? Yeah, there was just baking soda and vinegar. They were very opposite pHs. And when you put them together, they fizz and then it comes out the top and he's like, hey, I got an A. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what we're kind of looking at. And it's this um, sizzle going on. That's what's helping us break our food apart so that we can pull the nutrients out of that food. So what happens is for a lot of different reasons, people aren't making enough stomach acid. Um, even if they've never been on a PPI that turns off stomach acid, there's a lot of other issues that can cause a person not to be making enough stomach acid. And then they can't break that, those proteins down correctly. There's a lot of people who don't have bile flowing uh, well enough. Um, basically, uh, for a long time, I don't know if you were old enough to remember this, you were probably playing with Legos, but back when I was wearing parachute pants, they told all of us to, that, that low fat is the thing and that's what we're going to do. We're never going to eat fat again, and as soon as you even touch fat, you'll be dead by that afternoon. So that's kind of what we did. And by doing that, the gallbladder is just like, hey, I, nobody wants to play with me. I got nothing to do here. And the bile starts to stagnate. It gets too thick and sticky to flow correctly. And then it starts turning to stones and the doctor says, hey, let's just yank that gallbladder out. It's not doing anything anyway. So without proper bile flow, 
you can't get that sizzle to pull the nutrients out of your food without the proper acid production. You can't get that sizzle to pull the nutrients out of your food. So you got to have both aspects. So let's say that a person has no bile flow or very little. Well, the bile is what we use to emulsify the fats that we eat. That's how the fats get broken down so that the body can use them. And if those fats can't get emulsified, they kind of become toxic and they become more of a burden to the body. And then the body says, well, let's just store some of this in fat cells. Or, or maybe it says, let's try and push it out through the skin. And maybe somebody gets keto crotch. You know, you hear about stories like that. Um, and it's, it's not that keto is bad. It's that these people don't qualify to eat that much fat until they can fix problems so their body can process those fats correctly. So this is just one example of how uh, looking at a diet that we know is very beneficial, but still if some people did it right off the bat, they would feel a lot worse and they would not succeed and they would just feel like I'm just broken and maybe I'm hopeless and I might as well go back to eating right, right. ding-dongs. Yeah, I feel like digestion is definitely one of the things that you can you can dive into and have, you know, umpteen million podcasts just on that specific specific area because there's so much confusion around digestion and people don't look at it as a holistic process. So with regard to um with regard to digestion, what are some of the like the most common issues you see like the masses having? I feel like a lot of people are deficient in in uh hydrochloric acid. Right. And 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 that's the biggest problem is that when you hear oh, I want to make my digestion better. The only thing you hear about is uh, probiotics or fiber. You know, like somebody says you use probiotics, you use fiber if you're constipated and you just use probiotics if you want your gut to be better. And people view the gut as that's what handles your digestion. But there's a lot of little processes go on that go on in there. So if we look at low stomach acid, um, the problem is, is that to make hydrochloric acid, your body needs minerals to be able to make that substance. So if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, you can't break the food you're eating down well enough to pull the minerals out of it. So now you don't have the minerals to make the hydrochloric acid and you don't have the hydrochloric acid to break down the food so you can get the minerals. So people just get kind of stuck in this cycle for years or, or decades. And there's a lot of things that could cause a person to not have enough mineral in the system. You know, they could have some kind of bug got into the stomach um, and the waste from a lot of these bacteria uh, will be very alkaline, which kind of neutralizes that acid and removes the ability to break the food down. Uh, you know, H. pylori is, is very all over the place. It's prevalent to the point where most people have, have had this in one way or another. And uh, H. pylori actually eats up all your hydrogen and you can't make hydrochloric acid because you don't have any hydrogen left. So there's a lot of ways for stomach acid to break, but what a person can look at is what kind of digestive symptoms do I have? And you know, are are you burping? Are you bloating? Are you having acid reflux? Are you constipated? Well, you know, that's 80% of the population is dealing with at least one of those issues. And all of those issues are strong signs that you're not making enough stomach acid. Like, do you eat a steak and and does it three hours later, it's kind of sitting there like a rock where you don't have enough stomach acid to break it down. And so it is just sitting there like a rock. And in order for you to break it down, it has to rot and ferment. And that process creates all of these gases that then expand your stomach. And that creates a lot of discomfort. And now you're bloating and you have all this stomach pain. Um, so the, when that's an issue, a person you know says, hey, well, this isn't good. But then when they talk to their friends, everybody's bloating. So, oh, this is just normal. This is just what life is supposed to be. And so they just kind of deal with it, right? Yeah, or they just take some Tums because <laughs> that's what they're told to do. And that's like the worst thing they could do. Right, exactly. So, you know, the one of the biggest reactions that happens is maybe a person has, a person has a little bit of stomach acid. You know, they're making a little bit. and But they have all this alkaline waste from this bacterial overgrowth. Because once stomach acid is is not strong enough, you you just left the door open where anybody can come in and set up camp and let's have a keg party and now we're going to raise our kids and uh so the 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 stomach acid is basically the barrier to the body it's 
it's like this knight in you know disgusting armor where it's going to kill everything that comes in the stomach right so when you lose that now some kid sneezed on the sal salad of the salad bar and you eat it and now you got all those you know bacteria and everything in your system so uh it's very easy for people to lose that acid um function and uh and then they just experience those symptoms long enough that they just feel like that's how that's how it's going to be i see a lot of people or not really a lot of people but i know there is like hydrochloric acid tablets um that can help with that do you think that's just simply you know putting the band-aid over it and not really fixing the issue or is that like a, a advantageous move in the short term so what we teach people to do is uh and, and there's a couple aspects you have to look at this um because if a person has that small amount of acid and then they have all that bacterial waste in there when they eat something the small amount of acid is going to uh, mix with all of that alkaline bacterial waste and then you're going to have that sizzle but it's in the stomach and that's not where it's supposed to happen uh, there wasn't enough time for the food to acidify properly and plus all those gases are going to push it back up and give the person reflux so then that's when they really take the tums and just turn it off and then they feel better uh, so they say oh i had too much acid turning off this acid makes me feel better and uh, the truth is that they don't have enough acid because when the stomach is acidic enough, then it triggers what's called an LES, which is a lower esophageal sphincter. And this is a sphincter that kind of opens when the food comes in. Hey, there's some chicken. Come on in. It opens up. And then as that chicken acidifies, the stomach gets acidic enough and it triggers that valve to close so we don't get reflux. So when people are getting reflux, it's almost always due to not enough acid. So what that person can do is then he can take some hydrochloric acid capsules to boost the level of, of uh, acid in his stomach, and then his stomach can be acidic enough to trigger that valve to close. He doesn't get the reflux anymore. And then his food can actually be broken down. Now he can pull the minerals out of that food and then he can start replenishing all everything that's been depleted for him for years or decades. And now his body can start to make more of its own HCL. And then the person can start reducing the amount that they're using from those capsules until they don't need anymore. So they're basically uh, just kind of synthetically, synthetically creating digestion for long enough to give your body the resources it needs to be able to do it on its own. Is it like a certain dosage that you would recommend? Yeah, and some of it can get a little complicated. You know, we, uh, we made this course. It was basically a free course on our site um, that kind of walks people through this process of you basically want to start low, like with just one capsule, and then kind of ramp up to maybe some type of maximum dose, you know, maybe five or something like that. Uh, and then once things improve, then you can start trying to reduce that as long as the symptoms don't come back. And there's some other details, but if uh, if anybody wants to get our free course, it's at kickitnaturally.com forward slash keto digest. And you basically have to pay 50 cents it's a whole 50 cents because that keeps out all of our spam registrations. But it's a free course that we made for all of our book readers because fixing digestion can be a little complicated. So we wanted to put it in video form so that, you know, people can kind of be walked through that, that whole process. I like it. I like it. I think uh, I don't know, it's cool for me to hear your story because you had such a profound impact of poor digestion and haven't, you know, <laughs> negatively impacted your whole livelihood. So yeah. for you to speak on it and just talk about some of the the nuances that people don't understand. I mean, I feel like I've I've talked with enough, I've had enough um, nutritional therapists on the podcast. And they really put an emphasis on, you know, hydrochloric acid, having enough stomach acid. And I didn't even start hearing about that until I started having these nutritional therapists on. So I think the vast majority of the population is totally in the dark as to the fact that they may actually be deficient in stomach acid. I feel like everybody just gravitates to thinking they're producing too much of it and then just reach for the tums and then they're just worsening the problem. Right. And they don't know. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny when you look at the the charts of uh, sales for PPIs and antacids and stuff like that, the charts just kind of rise through history right along with the rise of osteoporosis because you're removing your ability to, of your body to bring in nutrients. So guess what? Your body needs nutrients anyways. So it starts to shop 
at the local 7-Eleven to get what it needs. And the local 7-Eleven is you. So that's why uh, the body will start breaking itself down, even its bones, to get the minerals and other nutrients that it needs to function correctly. And then we kind of wonder why we're disintegrating. I'm curious, was such an emphasis on, you know, making sure you're getting all the minerals and, and vitamins that your body needs. What is your take on uh, like vegetation or more restrictive versions of keto, like carnivore, for instance? Like, do you feel like that's advantageous, dangerous? Like, what, what's your take on all that? Um, I have a take and I'll, uh, I think I'm on Danny Vega's show tomorrow. So maybe he'll yell at me if I say anything bad about carnivore, right? I don't want that. I don't want that guy pounding me. Um, no, no. <laughs> no, no. So my view on carnivore is that there's really a lot of positive and some downsides to it for some people. Because let's say uh, that a person doesn't have that hydrochloric acid function. Let's say that I went on carnivore back when I was taking all those PPIs and I had no digestion. Well, I would have been miserable because every time I ate a steak it would still be in my stomach the next morning and I would be nauseous and all those uh, fermentation and rotting would be going on uh, and I wouldn't even want to eat again. So when you look at it that way, uh, that can be a problem. But if someone has their digestion working correctly, they can get what they need from a carnivore diet because basically what we need is in the dirt. It's all those minerals and everything is in the dirt. But if you go out and eat the dirt, that's not going to do well. You can't process that dirt just like you can't take crude oil and put it in your gas tank. It has to be processed into something else. So the plant can eat that dirt. And then when we eat the plant, we can access the minerals in that plant. But you take it a step further and then an animal eats that plant and then he can process that plant even better than we could because he's got all these other extra bonus stomachs and all this other stuff going on. He can process that even better. And then if we eat that animal, we can access those nutrients even easier than when we ate that plant. So when you look at it that way, you can see that you really can get everything you need um, from a carnivore diet if a person can process that diet correctly. And another big benefit that people are seeing is that um, a lot of these food sensitivities are, are created by eating a food without the ability to break it down. So when you can't break it down into vitamins, minerals, uh, amino acids, uh, fats, uh, all the nutrients that your body can use, then that food still goes into your system with an identity. It's still saying, hey, I'm a peanut butter sandwich. And your body can't use peanut butter sandwich. So it views that as an invader and it makes all these antibodies for it. And it sounds the alarms and it attacks the invader. And then next time you eat a peanut butter sandwich, now all hell breaks through and now your body goes to war against a peanut butter sandwich. So now you have a food sensitivity because you didn't break the food down enough and now it got into the system where it's not supposed to be. So if someone goes carnivore, now they've removed pretty much every food that is going to possibly create a food sensitivity and they can feel a whole lot better that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. If someone's digestion is, is functioning properly, do you feel like there's any anything that they're missing by not having the vegetation? Like, is there any inherent, uh, you know, vitamins and minerals that would be best absorbed if taken straight from a, a green? I, I don't know. I, I, my uh, initial thought has always been yes. My thought was always that there's a lot of nutrients that you can get in um, animal products that you can't get anywhere else, and there's nutrients in plants that you can't seem to get anyone else. So I've always felt that doing both is beneficial but now seeing all the people that are succeeding on carnivore and now seeing the problems that they remove uh you know that aspect of getting rid of foods that could create food sensitivities i don't know i'm kind of changing my tune a little bit not enough to where i'm writing a carnivore book or telling everybody to go carnivore but the people that are doing it i'm i'm not having a problem with it because it makes sense that the animal access this is the nutrients in the plants better than we can, and then we can access the nutrients better in the animal. But I, I don't have firm ground on this yet. Like I do so many other things. What What is your thought? How do you feel about it? Look at you getting yeah, interviewed kinda, on your own show. <laughs> I mean, I kind of gravitate towards a carnivore esque approach naturally, just by default. Uh -huh. um, but I'm not like a hardcore carnivore in the sense that, like, I, I 
I'm not allowed a morsel of grass. Like if I'm craving a big salad, I'll go crash a big salad, not not worry about it. Um, I just personally feel better. I don't feel as bloated. I don't respond as well if I'm taking in a whole bunch of vegetation. So if I do take in vegetation, it's, it's more like something that's already fermented, uh, like sauerkraut or pickles, stuff like that. Right. Um, I feel like that is handled by my body a lot easier than just a bunch of raw greens. Right, but you don't feel like you're you're missing anything by by leaving that out, right? No, no, I feel I feel pretty good. That and keto yeah. bricks, I'm good to go, man. Right, right, and so I I that's kind of the stance that I have come to, and it's it's really just this year that I that I've kind of started taking on that that viewpoint. Um, so I I'm definitely a fan of uh, what a lot of people are doing with carnivore because who who doesn't want a ribeye? Come on, it's delicious. Yeah. Totally, totally. What are some good, you know, markers that you look at? Like if someone was listening to this and they're like, you know, doing like a self-evaluation of their digestive health and just kind of like some of the markers that they should take note of, what would you say is a good litmus test for whether or not you have good absorption, um, good digestion? Like what are you looking for? You know, one thing I really like to have people do is look at their blood pressure. And there's a, a number of tests that we do. Um, you know, if, you're, if your readers want to kind of check out everything we'll do, and I'll talk about some of them here on the show, but uh, if they want to look at all of them, um, they can download my book, uh, Kick Your Fat in the Nuts for free. And if you're one of those, like my fiance is snobby, she has to hold a book or she's not going to read it. So it's on Amazon. You can get it. But if you want to get it for free, just go to kickitnaturally.com forward slash book and you can get a free copy. And we kind of walk through all these self-tests that you can do just at home with stuff that you can pick up at a pharmacy or a drugstore kind of thing or a health food store. And you just start looking at where your body chemistry is and it can start to give you clues as to how you're processing foods or, or not. And so when you look at your blood pressure, you really want to look at it in a rested, calm state. And you want to do it at least two hours after you've eaten because digestion is a huge process and there's craziness going on after we eat. So um, you want to do it at least two hours after breakfast or lunch. You don't want to do it first thing in the morning either. But look at your blood pressure. And if that top systolic number is below like 113, that's a strong indication that a person doesn't have enough mineral in the system to have everything functioning correctly. And Geez, that's a huge piece of information. When you look at all of the processes that need minerals to function, um, when all of a sudden a person can find out, wow, I don't, I don't have enough. So now it kind of makes sense that I just, I just yelled at the mailman because I didn't like the shorts he was wearing and I totally snapped. And what was wrong with me? Well, these things start to make sense when you start to understand that your brain and your body doesn't have the tools it needs to communicate with each other correctly. And so not only do we get tired or or depressed or you know have bipolar tendencies or maybe we're overly emotional you know all those things uh now a person could look at their physiology and say oh i'm not just a, a nut bag my physiology tells me that i should be feeling this way gotcha yeah that makes that makes sense for sure what what are what's mother like i don't want to give away everything in your book but just just another one more good pointer you can give it away. I, I give it away just now. I just gave it away too. I just want people to read it <laughs> for the jokes that I put in there. That's all I'm looking for. Um, but one more point is that it is valuable to look at your pHs. Um, there can be a lot of value in that, but not to the sense of everything should be alkaline like some people tell you to do. Uh, but when you look at your pHs and you understand the relationship between the urine and the saliva pH, it can give you clues of what's going on at the cellular level, which can be huge when it comes to building muscle. So what we look at is that at the cellular level, we're always either in a catabolic state or an anabolic state. And anybody that's done anything with bodybuilding knows the word anabolic when they talk about anabolic steroids. And basically what these are doing are just pushing the body into that rebuild uh, body tissue building mode all the time. So we're supposed to be in an anabolic state at night while we rest and sleep and the body rebuilds. And then during the day, we're supposed to be in a catabolic state where the body is uh, more efficient at creating energy, where we start to break down tissues uh, that need to be rebuilt and renewed and uh, replaced. 
you know, our whole body gets replaced in, I don't know, a couple episodes of ALF. I, don't, I can't remember the real, the real number, right? But we know, everybody knows that the body regenerates itself. But what they don't understand mm-hmm. is that there's this cycle of breaking down during the day in this catabolic state and rebuilding in this anabolic state. But what happens is a lot of people will get stuck in one of these states for one reason or another. And maybe you're stuck in this catabolic state all the time and they're like, oh, I'm just a hard gainer. I'm a hard gainer. I, don't, I can't add any muscle to my body. But what's going on is you can't add muscle because your body's not getting into the state where it says, hey, it's time to build muscle. If it never gets into that state, the activity doesn't happen. Now, there could be other issues too. You know, maybe a person can't break proteins down into amino acids and we know that the body needs that, those building blocks to build muscle. So it's not the only reason not to be able to build muscle, but it can be a big one. So if a person can start looking at their uh, physiology and their numbers, and if the numbers say, wow, I do appear to be really too catabolic, then all of a sudden their inability to add muscle makes sense and they can start taking steps to improve that imbalance, help the body move into that rebuild and repair state like it's supposed to at night, and then all of a sudden they're jacked and they have to buy new shirts because their sleeves don't fit. It's a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want hinging off of that? Yeah, hinging off of that. What What do you think about uh, like fasting and time restricted feeding? Is there a particular window that you found to be especially productive and effective? Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's probably going to change whether someone's keto adapted or not, but from like a digestion standpoint, it's probably not optimal to constantly be forcing food down your throat. Right. There's, you know, the, there's, uh, the digestive process t- takes more resources than pr- pretty much anything that we do. So when you have the ability to give that a rest, then that can be, there's a lot of benefits that can come from that. And some of them are huge. Some of them are, uh, you can't cure that disease uh, uh, fixing, you know, kind of thing. It can be that drastic where, People can fix those kind of issues by just allowing their body a, a little a little less stress of having to do that all the time. But my viewpoint is that uh, I don't like to see people doing a lot of fasting if they're not fat adapted uh, because it's it's basically your body is in this state where it's running on glucose and you say, hey, how about I give you nothing? And then your body says, hey, but I need something. And it starts to freak out and it jacks up all these stress hormones that then allow the body to function while it doesn't have fuel. And things like estrogen is is a big thing that uh, a lot of people are having troubles now just because they're so estrogen dominant from not only the stress in their life because uh, you're late for work and you're in this traffic and you're stressed. That's That creates a stress response in your body. But you can't digest food well enough to pull nutrients out of it. And now your body doesn't have anything to function on. It's basically like your body trying to pay $800 worth of bills with 12 bucks. That's stressful. So when it doesn't have enough nutrients, it gets stressed out and it creates these stress hormones again. So people in a state like that, where their mineral levels are really low, they're not fat adapted, and so why don't I just not eat until dinner? Those people are, in my opinion, doing more harm than good because they're stressing the body further. The body is already freaking out and you're like laughing at it. You know what I mean? So um, I like to see somebody be fat adapted and then the benefits can be tremendous, especially, geez, with weight loss. Holy mackerel. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like fasting, I mean, for one, I just don't like to eat I mean, it's just inconvenient. Like, I like to eat, <laughs> you know, sometimes like if I'm in a, a total caloric deficit, if I'm in a prep, then yeah, I like to eat. But if I'm in a caloric surplus or maintenance, I just look at it as an inconvenience. But I think giving your body a good, you know, window of time to just tap the brakes on all the digestive processes is a worthwhile move for sure. It is. Um, and, and think about it too. Think about a person who their digestion may be a little bit strained. Maybe it's not optimal. And now they're getting a break from that. That can really be big for that person. But yeah, especially keto. Like my, my favorite thing about keto is I get some stuff done. I don't have to stop and have breakfast. I just, I'll eat later. I'm not even hungry. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What about, what about uh, extended fast, you know, seven day plus fast? Like, do you feel like there's a, a, a stressor on the digestive system by not having any food coming in? Or is that just, it's just totally dormant and good to go? 
You know, you see a lot of good science out there talking about all the benefits of it. Um, I, I'm just not on that boat yet. I just don't. Uh, I, I just don't like it. I, I think um, if someone had a significant health issue, where the benefits from, you know, that that breakdown of tissue that comes with that extended fast, if that, you know, extensive breakdown of tissue is going to uh, do something amazing to a significant health issue, then I'm, I'm totally on board with that. But most of the people doing these extended fasts now are doing it because I want to lose 45 pounds by Friday because I want to go to the square dance. There's this girl, Missy, that's going to be there. So in that regards, I don't like that approach uh, to an extended fast um, just because I feel that it's more stressful for most people um, when they go that route. Yeah, especially if you're doing it on a pretty regularly occurring basis. Like I can see the longest fast I've ever done, I think it was four and a half, five days. And that was just a one-off experiment, basically. Right. I could see that being something that I would incorporate on a, you know, maybe twice a year biannual basis. But there's no need, I feel like, to do that on a monthly basis, which I see a lot of people doing. Right. I see a lot of people doing it. And I, I'm totally fine with, let's say that next year you and I are the keto cruise and we're talking about how we found out there's nothing better than an extended fast for anything. If that ends up being the case, I'll be like, ah, that, yeah, okay, I'll buy, I'll buy into that. But for now, just with my understanding of it and and what the body does when it's in a stressed state, uh, I just I don't like the idea of it. Just because half the people that come to me are dealing with issues where their resources are already too low, and the the stress hormones that are all jacked up are creating all these other problems. And when we can just lift the resources a little bit, bring those stress hormones down, all of a sudden they get to be a human being. So uh, in that regards, I, I just don't like to take those, that subset of folks and tell them to go make everything worse. Yeah, totally. Do you get tired after a meal? Even now, even now that you're keto adapted, I know you don't get near as tired as you did when you were, you know, depending on glucose, I used to crash after every meal then. But do you ever get tired after just a normal ketogenic meal now? So I do hear from a lot of people that do this and this is my viewpoint on it. And, and I don't anymore, but back in the beginning of my journey, I would, this happened to me a lot. Even before I was keto, I think I was just, I was either low carb or I was already accidentally doing keto at that time without knowing that it was keto. Um, but it would happen to me a lot. But what happens with some folks is that they don't have enough uh, chloride in the system <clears throat> because you need proper digestion to bring that in. And chloride is one of the things that your body uses to make hydrochloric acid. So when you eat something, your body's like, we need chloride to make at least something. Give me everything you got. And it pulls all the chloride out of the bloodstream into the digestive system. And chloride is acidic. So when you pull it all out of the bloodstream, the blood starts to lean a little too alkaline. And when the blood is leaning too alkaline, there's something that causes, it's called the Bohr effect that kicks in. And we all learned about this in eighth grade science class, but then they never mentioned it again, so we all forgot it. Um, and basically what it says is that when the blood leans too alkaline, then oxygen is trapped in the blood. It can't get down to the tissue level where it needs to be. Uh, and so the body can't use the oxygen like it's supposed to. So when somebody eats, all that chloride leaves the bloodstream so that they can make more hydrochloric acid, and then they're just wiped out for hours. Uh, so a person can kind of figure that out as well by looking at their breath rate because that's the best way for us to get an indication of where our blood pH is and, and do we need help balancing that out a little bit. And then with the folks that do this, I help them get a little more chloride in the system and all of a sudden they don't experience that after they eat anymore. What's the, what's the best way to get chloride in the system? Is there just chloride tablets as well, I'm assuming? Well, I, there's a couple things, you know, I, I like to use magnesium chloride, but, uh, you know, magnesium is a really big one too, because basically we all need magnesium, at least a little bit, because it's just not in the, the food supply anymore, like it used to be. But, you know, we were talking about that catabolic anabolic imbalance before. Mm -hmm. And so if a guy is already extremely catabolic, like I was when, when I first started looking at my physiology, I was extremely catabolic to the point where I didn't sleep for days at a time um, just because I was an insomniac uh, because I was stuck in that 
daytime mode kind of thing. So uh, magnesium is the most pro catabolic mineral that there is. So the, 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 the thing that can cause trouble is everywhere we go in keto, everybody's like, you need all the magnesium. You need to take pounds of magnesium if you're doing keto. But if a guy's already super catabolic, he's going to push himself into the dirt. So, uh, uh, you know, magnesium chloride is a great way to add chloride. But if someone's super catabolic, then I want to find some other form of chloride to put that in there. And, you know, using things like sea salt, that, that contains chloride in there. That's a first step that everybody you know, should be doing is getting uh, at least the chloride that you find in a good sea salt. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, this is interesting to me, man, because I feel like a lot of people, they'll they'll get this initial, uh, you know, buzz from keto in the sense that they'll recognize how much better they feel because how poor they felt on carbs was so fresh on their mind. But then after someone's been adapted for an extended period of time, it becomes more of like, you know, really just optimizing and fine tuning. And I feel like a lot of people um, you know, just kind of clarifying on what some of these issues are, whether that's a chloride deficiency, they're getting a little tired after their meals or something is still incredibly important just to truly, you know, do the details and figure out where they can correct course. Right. And and what's, what's my favorite part is that there's two other, two or three other issues that could cause someone to get tired after they eat as well. So what we, what we hate to see someone do is to listen to me on a podcast and say, oh, I need magnesium chloride. You know, that might not be the case for you. Maybe your blood pressure is already too high, and now you're going to add more mineral when your body can't get rid of the minerals that are already in there. You know, that would, that would be a mistake. So that's where we really like people to look at their physiology before they jump on somebody's bandwagon and, and do exactly what they're saying. I hate people to just listen to me and do something. I want them to listen to me and then look at their physiology to see if what I said was stupid or not. Yeah, totally. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about fiber since the bulk of this podcast is about digestion. So we kind of touched on the greens, but in taking it one step further and just diving into fiber, what is your take on that? Um, I don't think that we need it anymore. I'm not, <clears throat> I, don't, I certainly don't supplement it like I used to when I thought that everybody needed a lot of fiber. Um, we do know that there's a lot of problem that, problems that can come from a lot of different types of fibers. Uh, but what I really hate to see someone do is to be constipated and say that I'm going to fix it with fiber because that's just like trying to shove a ping pong ball through a metal pipe. You know, it's not, it's not going to do any good if you're not addressing the actual underlying causes of the constipation. So with that issue, with constipation, I don't mind seeing somebody use some fiber if they also uh, take the other steps that need to be taken to either acidify the stool more or to fix an anabolic imbalance that uh, can often cause the body to send too much water to the kidneys and not enough to the bowels, so the bowels get hard and then they, they don't move correctly. So I like to see people fix the underlying causes, and then if they want to use some fiber, I'm okay with that. But uh, you know, I used to think that we all needed these buckets of fiber, and we're finding now that that doesn't seem to be the case. Are, do you are you, do you agree with that now? Or are you still on the fiber game? No, I, I take in very very minimal fiber. I mean, honestly, I don't take in any fiber intentionally. Any fiber that I do consume is just by happenstance, food. but it's not not ever right. done intentionally. Right, just through food. Um, there's also one other crazy thing where these people get they're so constipated for you know decades that their uh, colon actually gets blocked and it actually get, the body creates like this little spiral through the colon. That's like how the, the stool is moving through there. It's just like the pathway is like almost blocked. And these people will take large amounts of fiber as they start to loosen up the stool and then it can help move this like plug out. It's just, it's a horrifying thing <laughs> when you hear the stories from these people. But in that regard, with that issue, I have seen fiber do some amazing things, but outside of that, I, I, I just don't ask people to use it anymore um, unless it's a severe constipation issue and they're going to fix the other aspects first. Yeah, four tablespoons of MCT will probably do the same thing. <laughs> right, yeah, it could. <laughs> it could. It could very well do that. Um, no, that's, that's good. I feel like, I think you just mentioned too, hydration. Like if you're not getting enough hydration, that's going to be, because you do hear a lot of people that are getting constipated with keto. It's like, it's either one end of the spectrum, the other. They're either constipated or it's just running right through them. But I feel like if you, you know, I think if you're hydrated, that's probably 
the first thing you should do. It is the first thing, um, but I'm going to say two answers. I just, I don't know if you noticed, I just like to disagree with stuff. Did you you catch on to that? Disagree, man. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah. So um, you got to view water like nothing is as important as water. They tell us all the time that we're like, I don't know, all, we're all water is what we are with a little bit of skin. That's it. Uh, But what I don't like to see is somebody telling everybody, you have to drink all the water. Uh, you don't feel good, mm-hmm. just drink more water. Because that person who has a blood pressure of you know 94 over 70, they don't have enough mineral in the system. And when they drink a gallon they of water all the day, they just flush the rest of the mineral out. Now they can't even function. Now they're going to be balled up in the fetal position, crying at old episodes of the Brady Bunch. They, they won't even be a human. So I don't like to see that happen. Um, but one issue uh, when you look at keto is that – Carbs are very pro-anabolic, um, which is why we used to use them a lot to, to build muscle. Um, so, uh, but also, so are saturated fats. So if somebody's on keto and they're doing a lot of saturated fats and they're I'm having you know, a lot of fat bombs and all these uh, uh, things that we find so beneficial on keto, because I, I pound this. I give me some saturated fats now. Don't, don't be silly. Uh, but if a person's already leaning a, a little too anabolic, it might push them a little too far anabolic, and then they're going to get constipated. And those are the people who really need the magnesium because the magnesium will balance out that anabolic imbalance and help the body send more water to the bowels, and, and now they can poop. Uh, so that's the most common issue of constipation when I'm looking at people doing keto. Uh, and the other one is is not enough stomach acid. So when you go keto, most people are now understanding that, oh, I have to eat real food. So they get rid of all this uh, processed carb junk that's very easy to break down. This stuff from a vending machine is practically already broken down. We immediately turn it into glucose and the body can use it. It doesn't mean it's healthy. It's just easy to access the fuel. But when you eat real food, now you got to break that down. And so someone without enough stomach acid to break down all this protein they're eating now, uh, they can end up with a con- some constipation issues as well. Have you noticed, speaking of protein, any kind of uh, you know, digestive threshold, so to speak, with regard to protein intake? No. You know, in the bodybuilding world, we always learn that you, know, you don't have to eat a whole lot more than this because your body can only use this much anyways. You know, that whole aspect and formula that you know, we talked about for so long. Um, but I don't think that there's a number. You know, I think on this on the low carb cruise, I learned that you and Danny were getting like five dinners. You know, and I was like, you can get five dinners. Yeah, you don't just pick one thing. You, I can have more than one of the same thing. And I was getting like, well, bring me three lobster tails. I want two of those steaks. What are you doing? Uh, so you know, we see a lot of people doing fine eating a lot of protein. I mean, how much? How much steak does Danny eat in a day? I don't know, quite a bit. He and I both put the meat down, no problem. Right, yeah. So I, I don't view a threshold as that unless you can't break down that steak and then you're going to find your own threshold because you're going to feel lousy with it just sitting in your stomach rotting and fermenting. Yeah, now, for sure. Now, there is an aspect of um, if a person is insulin resistant and that you know the gluconeogenesis issue could be problematic for that person, then if they're eating a whole bunch of protein, that could magnify that problem. But I, I don't view it as the cause of that problem. It's just that person's having some trouble, so they're making some mistakes that are magnifying the trouble that they're already having. Makes sense. Yeah, I feel like digestion, I mean, it's all kind of going back to the bioindividuality. I feel like simply eating whole foods, like you said, that's a classic 80-20. You know, you do that and you're going to be curing most of the issues. But as far as refining it further from that, it's truly all individualistic. I mean, you have to look in and see you know, how you're responding to every little adjustment you make and then manipulate it accordingly. Right. So it's nice that a lot of uh, experts have, you know, guidelines to look at and steps to, to take, uh, especially with keto. But you just have to keep in mind that those steps may not be right for you. So as long as you take those steps, and I like people to look at their physiology and then make some changes and then watch what that physiology does and let those changes guide you because you're either going to see improvements or 
you're going to get new information that points you in the right direction to go to see those improvements. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool deal, man. What's on the horizon? Like, what, what's, uh, what research are you diving into now? What are you working on personally? When's the uh, digestive stand-up comedy tour coming? Um, I think right now I'm kind of looking at getting some new socks. New socks? That's gonna, yeah, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to get some new socks. Making big moves, man. Making waves. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 uh, the next thing I'm trying to finish up is, a, is I'm making a, a weight loss documentary and I have been for years and we ran out of money in post-production and, and then I moved across the country and all, all these big things have been coming in the way. So I moved here to Florida so that I could retire from personal training and focus more on, on finishing that movie so that hopefully it can be out by the end of next year. Well, if you need any extras or anything, just let me know. <laughs> okay, I will. If you come down to Florida right. to see uh, uh, Danny, let me know. We'll see if we can, we can squeeze you in. Shoot you in, man. I'll be all about it. Where, where uh, can people go to find more about you, man? Um, then go to kickitnaturally.com. Uh, that's our old podcast. And then we have a new uh, keto podcast at uh, chatthefat.com. Chatthefat.com. I'll link out to both of those. I'm assuming the Instagram handles are the same uh, same text. I'm really kind of a Facebook guy, so that's Facebook. Lot, but I'm at Facebook. I'm at Kick It in the Nuts. Kick It in the Nuts. I like that. That's a very yeah, unique. Right. My my, <laughs> my big book is Kick Your Fat in the Nuts. That's the one that I'm probably most known for. I like it. I like it. Well, man, TC Hale, I appreciate the time. Learned a lot about digestion. We'll definitely have to do a follow-up here as, as I get more questions. But uh, hope you're enjoying Florida, man. You got you got a lot of things in the pipeline right now, so keep yeah, killing yeah. it. I will. And and great and great to hang out with you again. Absolutely, man. Take care.